Hi friends, how are you today? My name is Bailey Sarian and today is Monday, which means it's murder, mystery, and makeup Monday. If you are new here, hi! My name is Bailey Sarian and on Mondays I sit down and I talk about a true crime story that's been heavy on my noggin and I do my makeup at the same time. So before we jump into today's story, I should add a disclaimer. Warning, the following presentation is intended for mature audiences. It contains graphic descriptions of crime scenes, adult dialogue, and strong language. Viewer discretion is advised. So today's story is, it's a little weird. It's not weird, it's just like, I just don't understand people. I don't think I will ever understand people. Do you understand people? No, I didn't think so. Like what the hell is going on sometimes, you know? But let's get into today's story. Bobby Jo Stinnett, do you know her? Do you know the story? Well, let me tell you. She grew up in Graham, Missouri. Now it was said that she was quiet, she was super kind, she was a really good student, and she had a love of horses and dogs. She and her husband, who went by the name Zeb, his real name was like Zebulon. They were high school sweethearts and both of them had graduated from, I'm gonna butcher this, Nodaway Holt High School in 2000. Anywho, so at the age of 23, Bobby Joe, she was eight months pregnant and this was gonna be their first child. So both of them, they're living in this like tiny farming town called Skidmore, Missouri. Now Skidmore had like one restaurant, a few streets are paved and they have a population around 250 people. Yeah, it's small. And Bobby Joe and everyone in the community, they all knew each other. So Bobby Joe, she worked at the Kawasaki manufacturing plant and that was in the nearby town of Maryville. She and Zeb, they also ran a dog breeding business called Happy Haven Farms out of their home. So on December 15th, 2004, she met a woman named Darlene Fisher in an online chat room. It was like a rat terrier chat room. The chat room was called Ratter Chatter. So um, Darlene, Lean and Bobby Joe, they were chatting on Ratter Chatter. It's kind of funny, but it's not because it's like a sad story, but like Ratter Chatter. So Darlene was interested in possibly buying a terrier puppy from their most recent litter. So Bobby Joe gave Darlene her address and they coordinated a time that they were gonna meet for Darlene to come over the next day. So they're all excited, not really, but like, you know. So on the 16th, Bobby Joe's mother, her name was Becky Harper, she stopped by her daughter's house to like check in on her. And she walks in and she finds her daughter lying on the dining room floor in a pool of her own blood. Okay, Bobby Joe was dead. Becky immediately calls the police and she's just hysterical. She described her daughter's wounds as looking as if her stomach exploded. Paramedics were unsuccessful in their attempts to revive Bobby Joe, and she was pronounced dead at St. Francis Hospital in Maryville. So an Amber Alert was set out for a red Toyota Corolla that was seen in the driveway of Bobby Joe's house. And it was issued out in hopes of enlisting help from the general public. So they're asking the general public Public. We need your help finding this car. And initially the Amber Alert was denied because it's never been used before in the case of an unborn child. Remember, Bobby Joe was pregnant and when she was found, the baby was missing. So they're sending out this Amber Alert, but there's no description of the victim that's missing, the baby. I mean, it's never been done before. So they don't, do you know what I'm saying? Does that make sense? I hope that makes sense. 
<coughs> but they put one out. Congressman Sam Graves intervened and the alert request was granted. So they did send it out in hopes that somebody had some information as to at least like, had, had anyone seen this car? Baby's missing. They don't know what the baby looks like, but I know, like, how do you even solve this? I don't, I don't know. I guess like, did anyone show up with randomly with a baby who doesn't have a baby? I guess that would be the biggest clue. This is something of like your worst nightmares. I'm sorry, but it is to be pregnant and to have somebody not only murder you, but take your unborn child. Like what in the world? What? I just can't believe that there's people out there like this. Like, this to me is just like, my brain cannot compute this. It just can't. It just really can't. I don't know. Anyways. So back at the crime scene, there was no sign of forced entry. This told investigators that Bobby Joe, she most likely knew her attacker because whoever it was, she let them in. And then there was also evidence that a gruesome and violent struggle had taken place. So she let the person in, but things just got real bad. You know what I'm saying? It was clear that Bobby Joe had been strangled from behind and then she fell unconscious. Blood on Bobby Joe's feet indicated that she at some point regained consciousness after her stomach had been cut open. I know, sorry, kind of graphic. So there was enough blood on the floor to come up between her toes and soak into her toenails. They also found like blondish brown hair in her closed fist, indicating that Bobby Joe put up like a pretty good fight against her attacker. And I've mentioned this before in a previous video, not that I'm like Jesus or something, but I pray to whatever you believe in. This never happens to you, right? N none of us. But if somebody's attacking you, you. This is so awful, but like maybe if you think you're not gonna get out, make sure to scratch and to fight your attacker and get their DNA under your nails. I'm talking just claw their shirt under them and get their DNA under your nails because if those people, you're gonna be found with the DNA that I'm about to scratch off of you, okay? So again, I pray that this never happens to you, right? But scratch the shit out of people, attackers, okay? So yeah, she put up a fight. She got hair, the attacker's hair. So like, that's good, I guess. Anyways, Bobby Joe also had cuts on her hands, which was from defending herself. And then she was also hit on the bridge of her nose and the right side of her head during the struggle. Eventually, Bobby Joe's attacker got the better of her, strangling her to death before extracting and making off with Bobby Joe's premature baby. I don't know what the hell is going on around here. Terrifying. Um, so Nottaway County Sheriff Randy Strong said that the scene they found that day was so bloody, he and his four co colleagues are still traumatized by it to this day. Can I ask something that I always forget to Google, but I've always been curious for anyone out there who's like a detective or something and sees these really awful crime scenes. Do they offer you guys like therapy and stuff or do they, or do they not? I really hope they do. I would think they would, but I don't I don't have a lot of faith in the system taking care of their um, employees, but may, I could be wrong, but I hope they do. Cause I don't know how you could just be normal after seeing all this stuff. Do you know what I'm saying? Anyways, so. Of course, word over on the Ratter Chatter forum about Bobby Joe's brutal murder was spreading like wildfire. People were talking. They were Ratter Chattering it up. One of the members actually came forward and contacted the police because they remembered the day before the murder, a woman named Darlene had contacted Bobby Joe about buying a puppy. I mean, what are the odds, you know? So luckily this person did the right thing. So this woman had come forward and given police the information 
information about Darlene. Good for her, you know? With this information, police quickly tracked Darlene's IP address to a home out in Melbourne, Kansas that belonged to Lisa and Kevin Montgomery. Bobby Joe and Lisa met earlier that April through dog show events and they connected through a shared love of dogs. They had like ongoing interactions in the same online rat terrier chat room, Ratter Chatter. Lisa had confided to Bobby Joe that she too was pregnant, leading the two women to like chatting online and exchanging emails about their pregnancies and just really connecting over their love of animals and also just being pregnant with their first child, like, you know, bonding. The next day, December 17th, police went out to Melvern hoping to question Lisa about Bobby Joe. When they arrived, they noticed that outside their farmhouse home was a car that matched the description of the one listed on the Amber Alert. Now a red Toyota Corolla is pretty common, but you know, it's still questionable. So they go inside and they find Lisa just kind of laying around, she's watching TV and she's holding a baby named Abigail. And they notice that this baby Abigail had a cut over her eye. This psycho ass lady, I swear to you. So Lisa told the police the same story she told her husband the day before, that she delivered the infant girl at a nearby birthing center in Topeka. And then that morning, her and her husband, Kevin, they went around town showing off the newborn at a diner, at the local bank, at a courthouse, at the convenience store where Lisa worked, just going on a little parade, like, look at this baby we got, like, it's mine. Very bizarre. Just, I don't know what's wrong with people. I don't know. I don't know. This is a different kind of sick. So when questioned, Kevin admitted that he wasn't there for the birth of this baby Abigail. Lisa had called him asking him to pick her up and the baby at Long John Silvers in Topeka, Kansas. Yeah, Long John Silvers, okay. And that, however, he didn't think it was strange because he knew she didn't like hospitals and doctors. I don't know you guys, I don't know. I'm just here telling you the story, but I don't freaking know. So later she asked to speak to officers in private. So she's like, I don't want, I don't need my husband here. He doesn't need to hear this. Can I talk to you in private? So she tells her husband like, go away for a second. I needed to talk to them. And she tells the police that she had actually given birth to Abigail at home. So it was her baby. And after she gave birth, she took the placenta and she threw it into a nearby river because that makes lots of sense, right? So that's what she had done. I guess that was supposed to be believable. Now, things of course weren't adding up and they bring Lisa down to the sheriff's office for more questioning. So they questioned her for like an hour or so and Lisa's story just fell apart and then she confessed. She told them that she had actually driven the 130 mile trip as a test run on the 15th before traveling back on the 16th to murder Bobby Joe. Lisa said that she was using a cord. She strangled Bobby Joe and having spent time watching watching videos online of like home births and C-section procedures, she felt confident enough to like use a sharp kitchen knife to cut her baby out. What the hell? I don't know. <laughs> so Lisa obviously was charged with kidnapping, which resulted in the death of Bobby Joe, and the baby was safely recovered and returned to Zeb, who renamed her Victoria Joe. So with all this information, who the heck was Lisa Marie Montgomery? Her middle name is Marie. Whose middle name isn't Marie? Everyone's middle name is Marie. Why? I need to know. But who is Lisa Montgomery? Well, it turns out she actually has a very 
very sad story. It doesn't mean that she shouldn't be held accountable for what she did, but I think, you know, she had a really awful life and it makes sense. Okay, look, the whole like thing when I do these videos, I like to figure out like where these killers and bad people come from because I think it actually makes more sense as to why they did what they did. You know what I'm saying? And a lot of people confuse that with me like trying to make you feel bad for these people. And like, you can't, you're allowed to feel bad for these people, but I think it makes you understand why they do the things they do. And that's something I'm always personally curious. Like what makes somebody this freaking crazy, you know? Cause you're not just born like this. Where does it come from? And that's where I am just so fascinated when it comes to these stories. Anyways, so let me do my brows. Okay, so who's Lisa? Well, Lisa, she was born on February 27th, 1968 in Melbourne, Kansas. Her mother, Judy, I don't even know how to say her last name, something like that. Anyways, she was addicted to alcohol. Okay, which caused Lisa to be born with permanent brain damage. So don't drink when you're pregnant. Step one, thank you. Lisa's father was in the military and he just like wasn't around much apparently, allegedly. Lisa and her half sister, Diane, they were raised in a home where physical, emotional and sexual abuse from Judy and her boyfriends was like an everyday routine. Sadly, they were beaten with rooms and belts and just really cruel punishments like taping their mouths shut or putting them out in the snow naked were just like normal things that they did to their children because they're sick people. Diane later on in life would describe Judy as manipulative and just plain evil, just awful person. She would go on to say that she enjoyed torturing the people around her and she got a joy out of it. I just don't understand how you could do that. I really just don't. It's so sad. So at the age of eight, Lisa's half-sister Diane was luckily removed from the home by social services and then she was whisked away to foster care. Now Lisa at the time was only four and she was left behind with her mother and her stepfather. I'm not really sure as to why she stayed and the other one was taken away, but that's just what happened. His other children later confirmed that their father was a violent alcoholic and Lisa was allegedly beaten and raped by her stepfather and also by his friends, starting at the age of 11. So they would be like, the parents, the grown adults here would be like, come on over. I have a child that you can take advantage of and do whatever you want with. Like how sick are you? I just, I don't get, I chat, what the fuck? So at the age of 13, while living in Sperry, Oklahoma, Lisa's stepfather built a special room in his trailer where he could attack her privately. Yeah, he would also store his liquor there and Lisa turned to that. She would start drinking alcohol in hopes to find some kind of escape from it all. So when Lisa was 14, her mother discovered that the abuse was going on. Now, as if this story cannot get any worse, and I'm Sorry for laughing, I'm just so uncomfortable because her mother discovers that she's being abused, right? Her mother bursts into the room when she's being abused by her stepfather, like during one of the attacks in the trailer. Now, instead of being like, oh my God, my daughter, like how could you do this? Let me help my daughter. No, instead she threatened Lisa with a gun because she believed, her mom believed that Lisa had seduced her husband and Lisa was the one to be blamed here. Can you, can you, un 
Lisa described it as like the most terrifying night of her life. Not only that, she just felt extremely alone because nobody had her back. Nobody was looking out for her. How the hell do you grow up and be a normal person? You know? And again, I'm not trying to excuse what she does in her life because what she did was awful. She should not have done that. But like, God, this poor girl. Oh my God, I just wanna like punch her family in the face. It was also around this time that her mother started trafficking her. She was allowing anybody, anybody with money, handymen, electricians, plumbers, come on over, sexually abuse my daughter Lisa in exchange for work on the house. We've got some wires up there I need fixing. I don't have any money, but I got a daughter. Mother of the goddamn year award goes to, not her. Wow. So this is all going on for a very long time. <sighs> and Lisa, she ends up confiding in her cousin, telling him that men would tie her up, beat her, urinate on her. And for some reason, the cousin, I don't know how old the cousin was at the time, but the cousin never did anything about it. And I think a lot of us kind of can get angry at that. Like, why wouldn't you do anything? But when you're a kid, not all kids, but a lot of kids are like terrified of the adults in their life. They don't feel confident enough to speak out. You know, they don't have like a safe space to speak out. So I think that's why the cousin didn't say anything. Maybe it was happening to them. I don't know. Shit. So Judy, Lisa's mom, ended up divorcing her second husband and Lisa testified about the sexual assaults during the divorce proceedings. Now the judge in the case, he went off on Judy for not reporting the abuse, yet the judge never reported the abuse either. So there's just a lot of fuck ups going on. Right? So at one point, Lisa tried to escape the chaotic home by marrying her stepbrother. His name was Carl Bowman in 1986. And she was only 18 at the time. She saw it as like her way out, but the relationship was not the escape that from violence like she was hoping it would be. Cause this guy was just as bad as all the other ones. So um, at one point, one of Lisa's brothers found a home movie of Carl raping and beating Lisa. He described it as violent, like a scene out of a horror movie. Um, he was just absolutely sick from watching it and yet had no idea what to do or how to talk to Lisa about it. So friends and family, they did notice that Lisa had a tendency to slip into like a world of her own, which could easily been, which probably was a sign of like, of a mental illness, like her disconnecting, but they just thought that she was like a daydreamer. <laughs> She's just a daydreamer. Lisa and Carl, they had four children together in a very short period of time. It was like bang, 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 four kids. And according to Carl, Lisa loved the attention she got when she was pregnant. It's like everybody seemed to cater to her. Makes sense, because I've heard this before from like other women who are pregnant, like you get a lot of attention when you're pregnant. It's something you never really think about. I've never been pregnant, so I never, but I could see that, you know? And she just loved that anyways, is what I'm getting at. She loved the attention she was getting when she was pregnant. And then in 1990, when their final child was born two months premature, doctors feared that Lisa would not be able to carry another pregnancy to term. So they recommended that she get her tubes tied. Now Lisa was like really hesitant to do it. She didn't want to get her tubes tied because she wanted to have more kids. 
but her stepbrother, aka husband, and her mom told her that she needed to do it and like force the procedure upon her. So she ended up going through with it. She, Lisa ends up agreeing to the procedure to get her tubes tied, but she was bombed. She was devastated. She wanted to have more kids. I don't think because she actually liked the child. I think because she liked being pregnant, which like, girl, you could have just gotten one of those like fake bellies and just worn that forever, right? So after the procedure, Lisa ends up claiming two different times that she was pregnant and Carl, her husband or stepbrother or whatever he is, he's like, you're not pregnant. There's no way, like you're lying. You got your tubes tied, you're not pregnant. And Carl is just sick of her shit. So he ends up divorcing her in 1993. Now, somehow the two of them, they end up like making amends and becoming, falling in love again or something. And they get remarried in 1994. And then in 1998, the two of them break up for good. When Lisa took the four children to live with Kevin Montgomery, this new man. Kevin had three children of his own and he lived with his parents. And two years later in the year 2000, Lisa and Kevin got married. So during her marriage to Kevin, she claimed to be pregnant three different times. The last time being in 2004 with a due date of January 16th. So during these quote unquote pregnancies, Lisa dressed in maternity clothes and even told people of like her upcoming due dates. Kevin was unaware that she actually got her tubes tied. So he believed her each time she told him that she was pregnant. I mean, he had no reason to believe like she would be lying to him. And Lisa eventually had to tell Kevin that she lost the babies. The first time she told Kevin that she had an abortion in New Mexico. And then the second time she told him that there was something wrong with the baby and she miscarried and had the body donated to science. Now, Kevin, what's he gonna say? I don't know, nothing. He's got nothing to say. He's like, okay. Because Kevin's former wife said that she was skeptical when she heard about Lisa's most recent pregnancy and that Kevin, he just had really like poor social skills and he was easily manipulated. So Carl, her ex-husband planned on exposing her lies when taking her to court in order to gain custody of the two of their four children together. The custody hearing was set for January 25th, 2005. And he was just gonna tell them all like, she's a liar, make her look bad so he could take the kids. So in November, 2004, Lisa called Carl to tell him that she was going to prove him wrong. And she had an unusual air of confidence about her. Now it's speculated that Lisa, alongside her long history of trauma and severe mental illness, felt extreme pressure and need to produce a baby in order to counter the charge of lying about her pregnancies and to stop Carl from getting custody of the children. So it's believed that's why she went, killed Bobby Joe, took Victoria Joe, the baby out of, they keep calling it kidnapping, but is that kidnapping? Cause in my mind, cutting a baby out of someone's stomach is not kidnapping. So that's why they believe this happened because she needed to produce a baby for the trial, you know? So at a pre-trial hearing, a neuropsychologist testified that head injuries that Lisa had sustained some years earlier kind of damaged the part of her brain that controls aggression. And Lisa's original legal team met for dinner to discuss the case. There were many challenges that they faced. Lisa had drawn global headlines when federal prosecutors accused her of strangling Bobby Joe to death, slicing open her belly and kidnapping the unborn baby. And there was really little to no room for doubt that Lisa committed the crime because she was arrested while cradling the baby in her arms. You know, like this lady's just 
insane. So the debate at dinner was sparked by the team fighting amongst themselves as to who would be in charge, not how they would handle the case. The relationships between the three lawyers soured and they eventually all but one dropped off the case. The judge, Judge Gary Fenner, he assigned John P. O'Connor and Frederick Duchart to, to be Lisa's defense attorney. Some would even describe it as the dream team because like they just always won their cases. Like you would want these people on your side. But John, a former prosecutor, was Kansas City's most successful go-to criminal defense lawyer. Frederick had tried more than a dozen capital cases. He was also an attorney who had more clients sentenced to death in federal court than any defense lawyer in America. So this Frederick guy, he was extremely busy. He was extremely busy with another case. And at that time, he was only able to visit Lisa three times. And Lisa seemed to like really not trust men for a good freaking reason. But Lisa really didn't trust him. She didn't trust men. So in order to develop like some kind of rapport with her, he ends up sending his wife, her name's Ryland, to visit her in prison. Now Ryland had no experience investigating death penalty cases. Her expertise was in horse therapy for artistic children, but she's on the case now. And she went to go visit Lisa 16 times. Her and Lisa became very close. So as Lisa's trial date approached in October of 2007, Frederick was convinced he could secure a not guilty verdict by suggesting that Bobby Joe was killed by Lisa's brother, Tommy. And it was Tommy who gave his sister's baby to Lisa. That was the new plan. Now, unfortunately, just a few weeks before the trial, Tommy, he had an alibi. His alibi emerged. And at the time of Bobby Joe's murder, Tommy had been meeting with his probation officer. So that little situation, the plan to blame Tommy, wasn't gonna work for them, sorry. Her family now believes she had been the one who decided to lay blame on her brother, which revoking their agreement to cooperate. The possibly life-saving evidence of providing Lisa's life story of abuse was no longer available to them from the source. So they had to come up with a new strategy, which was getting Lisa to admit that she had indeed killed Bobby Joe, but prove that she was not guilty by reason of insanity. So if her lawyers could get the jury to believe, as they did, that Lisa suffered from depression, borderline personality disorder, post-traumatic stress disorder, and also phantom pregnancy, like that's a condition where a woman believes she's pregnant, even though she's not. Remember we talked about it in the Bloody Mary story, do you remember? Phantom pregnancies where like a woman thinks she's pregnant and then your body reacts and you experience symptoms of pregnancy, such as like swelling of the belly, your menstruation stops, I hate that word. And then also you may feel like movement in your stomach. Isn't that wild? So unfortunately though, like this, Theory, it didn't stand in court. And the prosecution managed to have forensic psychiatrist Park Dates, who worked with prosecutors on the cases of Jeffrey Dahmer and the Unabomber. Uh, we did both of those, remember? Oh my God, how many members am I gonna say? Anyways, they testified that the diagnosis offered by the defense's main expert witness was voodoo science and excluded from the case entirely on the grounds that it had no scientific basis. The defense also went on to further prove that Lisa knew her actions were wrong and none of them were impulsive. So with no final tactics available, Lisa was unable to be saved from 
a murder conviction. On October 22nd, 2007, Lisa she was convicted of murder and she received the death sentence on October 26th. Lisa's husband, Kevin, and Bobby Joe's mother, Beck, as well as some other family members were all at the hearing, but no one spoke to reporters. So of course they're trying to appeal the case. They don't want her to die to get a death penalty. And then during the appeals process, Experts examined Lisa and found that unbeknownst to her trial jury, her upbringing had left her suffering from florid psychosis, bipolar disorder, and post-traumatic stress disorder. She was often disassociated from reality and as a result from her many beatings, had suffered permanent brain damage because of all of this. Before her trial, neither the prosecution nor her own defense team had investigated the relationship between Lisa's many symptoms and her traumatic history. During the trial, the jury found that Lisa was unemotional. She showed like no remorse for her actions. She showed really no emotion about what had taken place. And Lisa's appeals team felt that the only reason for this behavior was because Lisa was taking a powerful antipsychotic medication that Lisa deserved an appeal because she was just as much a victim as she was the perpetrator. Now that's a hot debate. You know, that's what makes this kind of like an interesting story because a lot of people do believe that she was just as much as, as of a victim as Bobby Joe. So Frederick responded to the appeal with an affidavit. I can't say this word, affidavit of over a hundred pages defending his legal proceedings, insisting that none of the issues raised by her appeal lawyers have merit. He felt that the experience trying over a dozen capital cases, many involving complex mental health issues, proved he handled the case the best way possible and that this former client's appeal lawyers were nothing more than spoiled, selfish prima donnas. That's what he said. Anyways, to make a long story short here, because they were just trying to like get an appeal and get Lisa to be able to present in court that she was a victim just as much as Bobby Joe was. For some odd reason, she didn't want the death penalty. I don't know why people try to avoid the death penalty. I would gladly take it over sitting in jail. <laughs> Is that just me? Wouldn't you? Sitting in jail for the rest of your life sounds way worse. Anyways, I'm sorry. Anyways, so they tried to appeal any way that they could and they tried every which way possible, but they exhausted the appeals process. Lisa was scheduled for an execution by lethal injection December 8th, 2020, but it was delayed because her attorney contracted COVID-19. I know, just recently, oh my God. So just recently, like a couple months ago, January 1st, 2021, the judge granted a stay of her execution on the ground that her mental competence must first be tested as executing individuals with intellectual disabilities violates the Eighth Amendment of the Constitution regarding cruel and unusual punishments. Therefore, meaning Lisa doesn't qualify for the death sentence. The stay was then overturned by the Supreme Court. They voted six to three and the execution order was ordered to be carried out immediately. Not long after midnight, January 13th, 2021, Lisa Montgomery was executed at the um, prison in Indiana. 
Yeah, bye. When asked if she had any final words, she simply responded with no. She is the first female federal inmate in 67 years to be executed by the United States federal government. Reports confirmed that members of Bobby Joe's family were present for the execution, but Zeb, Bobby Joe's husband, he has not spoken publicly about that day or really about anything. And that my friends is the awful story about Bobby Joe, her awful sad murder, how sick Lisa Montgomery was and what the fuck. <laughs> so, okay. This one's got me a little confused because I think naturally like you want to see Lisa as the victim, but she did something really awful. I mean, like that takes a special kind of sick to kill somebody and then cut their stomach open. That takes a different kind of fucking brain, okay, right? And it's like, yes, Lisa went through some awful shit, but lots of people go through awful shit and don't cut stomachs open. You know, sorry, Lisa, but bye. You know, I just, it's hard to have compassion for her when she did something really, 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 really awful. I don't know how I feel. How do you feel? I would love to hear your guys' thoughts down below. Do you think Lisa should have been executed? Is she a victim? Shit. I don't know. Look, in this country, we care more about getting rid of people than we do helping people when they go through traumatic shit. So it makes sense in this country, but if we were a country that put mental illness and stuff first, I think she could have been helped. But let's be honest here, that's not how this country works. We like to just lock them up, get them out of here, you know? So it's like, realistically, it would have been nice if she could receive some kind of help, but was it gonna happen? Fucking no, because that's not how this place works, you know? That's my own opinion. And um, I'm sorry, but Lisa, you gotta go because that was that was real fucked up. Where is Bobby Joe's family now? I don't know, I didn't look it up. I didn't want to because, you know, they've been through a lot. Just leave them alone. But other than that, I hope you have a wonderful day. You make good choices. Please be safe out there. And I'll be seeing you guys later. Bye.